If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. The word says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. And this is what I really want you to see. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please." And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you and I praise you that your word never returns void. That it will always go forth and prosper for the very thing that you sent it to do. And I pray, Father, that as your word goes forth in this place tonight, that it would prosper in hearts and minds. Lord God, that it would, it would be freely received. Lord, that ears would be anointed to hear, Lord. That it would be like an arrow that just penetrates our hearts. Would you bring change in this place tonight, Father? Would you give your word wings into the hearts and the minds of the people? Seal my lips, Lord, to anything that's not of you. Let me say only what the Father tells me to say, but let me say it with boldness and confidence and with great authority, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you just a little background on the book of Isaiah and where this chapter picks up. As you will recall, the people that Isaiah is talking to have been in captivity. They've been exiled in Babylon for a long time. They uh, were exiled because they had continually sinned against God. They had disobeyed his commands to them, and they were committing spiritual idolatry. And as a result, God allowed them to be taken away into captivity. 
Chapter 55 is about God inviting his people to return to him. He issues an invitation for them to come to him. It's an invitation. I always hate. I got an invitation from Jean this week, and I wouldn't want to miss that for anything in the world. It's an invitation I want to say yes to, and God is, in, is issuing invitation here that we want to say yes to. It would be tragic not to. But sadly, as you'll find out, some of the people of Israel do say no to it. You might find that hard to believe. You might say, well, Rhea, they're in captivity. They've been exiled, and and exile is painful, and it's difficult, and that's true. But what had happened to the Israelites is that exile became their norm. Captivity, this is preaching to somebody, captivity has become their norm. They don't know any different. The Bible says that they began to build houses and and find jobs and be in relationship and and captivity became comfortable for them. I wonder tonight if there's anybody here that captivity, (laughs) you're not even realizing it, but captivity has become comfortable to you. It's all you know. It's your norm. For, For some of these Israelites, they were born in captivity. It was all they knew. And God, in his mercy and in his grace was calling them back to himself. He wanted to free them from that captivity. He wanted to give them life and fullness of life. But sadly, for some of those Jews, they, they didn't want to return to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in, in ruins. It, was, it, would, it would take time to rebuild. And for some of you, to leave captivity is scary. You, you don't know what's waiting for you because all you know is captivity. They'd have to leave their comfort, uh, the comfort that they were living in, not realizing the comfort they were in was captivity. And so God is speaking to them and to us through the prophet Isaiah, offering them new life and a return to their relationship with him. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Can I I just tell you that I, I am a pastor's wife. I love sales. Megan, are you with me? I you know, we don't make a lot of money. And so uh, I like really good deals. Uh, Some of you, uh, you might be familiar with this. Amazon has the deal of the day. Have you ever seen it? I love it. I love it. And sometimes I find myself buying deals of the day just because it's a really good deal, not because I need it. The language Isaiah is using in this passage when he says, oh, come, come and buy milk without, without money. Come by wine, come by water. The the language he's using is marketplace language here. The picture he's drawing is one of someone going to the marketplace and the vendors are calling out to sell their wares, offering the Amazon deal of the day. It's a picture of God's deal of the day. It's the best sale ever. The offer where everything is free and no money is ever needed. The only price is to simply come. Dave and I love to go to Israel. We're, we're going to lead another tour, we hope, next year. As Leslie said, it keeps getting postponed. But, but one of the things I love about Israel, if you've ever been there, is the Jerusalem marketplace. I, I love it. It's loud. It's obnoxious. There are vendors everywhere. Everybody's trying to sell you their wares. Everybody wants you to get a good deal. And, you know, if they see you talking to another vendor that they have something similar that they want to offer, they will go assault you while you're, while you're getting a good deal with this vendor and they'll make a better deal. They'll make it seem like their stuff is better than what you're getting from that vendor. Am I exaggerating, Dave? That's exactly what happens there. It's crazy. (laughs) 
And you see, this is the language that Isaiah is using there. He, he really, he's telling you that, that God has the best offer, but God is also aware that there are other vendors. There's competitors who will come to you in this world and say, come and buy from me. Come and spend your resources on what I'm offering. You see, the world does that. They make what they have look so much better than what you think God has. And God, in this, the language that Isaiah is using there, is summoning them. He's luring them away from the voices of those around them. He's, he's coming, appealing for our attention, calling us away from the inferior competitors the, uh, that are in the world, beseeching us to listen to him. You see, I can preach this because I've tasted of the world. The world called me. The world summoned me. The world said, Rhea, you can find satisfaction here. You, you can, you, you'll be content if, if you just have this in your life. If you do this thing, if you get involved with this, this is where you'll finally find satisfaction. But only Jesus could do that for me. But the voice of all, that, all those competitors is louder and louder, trying to entice us and draw us away from what God is offering. And so God comes through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts. That word ho is an appeal. He's pleading with his people, trying to get their attention. I, I, I don't want you to miss that there are a dozen imperative verbs in verses 1 through 7. A verb, as you know, is an action word. An imperative is a command. So that's important to note. You say, well, what, why is that so important? Because it conveys a sense of urgency. God has a sense of urgency for you to understand. If you're thirsty, come to him, because he is the only one that can satisfy that thirst. He says, whoa, everyone who thirsts, everyone who thirsts. Don't miss that. This, is a, this invitation is for everyone. At first glance, they, it, might appear, it might appear that that everyone is universal, that, that whoever you are can come. But you see, there, there, there is, uh, there's a qualifier here. The qualifier is everyone who's thirsty come. The invitation is limited to those who have identified that they have a thirst. A thirst that cannot be... So he's calling those who are thirsty to come to him. I wonder if you understand that tonight we're all thirsty. Anybody here know that we are all... It's interesting to me how we look in all the wrong places for the thing that can finally quench or satisfy our thirst. When I was in high school, I was a field hockey goalie. Yeah, me. I was tough. I played field hockey, and, and, you know, we practice in Pennsylvania in the heat of the summer day. Not early morning, not early evening. We practice in the middle of the day in the heat of the day. And as a, as a, as a field hockey goalie, I had pads on my arms, pads on my legs, and I had to run. Uh, you know, we would run two miles before practice, two miles after practice, and I had to run with those, with, with those pads on. And, and it was hot. And, and, you know, this was back in the day before we had water bottles, um, telling you how old I am. And we didn't just not have water bottles. We had this like gigantic orange thermos that our coach would fill up before she left the house and, and it would be warm water to drink and it, it would not last the whole practice. And by the time practice was over, can I just tell you I was parched? 
I was thirsty and, and I didn't have a water bottle to clench that. And my mama would pick me up from practice and, and there was a little convenience store on the corner by our school. And, and I would always say to her, mama, I'm so thirsty. Can you just stop and get me a Coca-Cola? You see, that was before water bottles were even in convenience stores. And, and my mama would say, Rhea, you do not want Coca-Cola. And I'd be like, Mom, I'm so thirsty. My mouth is dry. You got to stop at the convenience store. And she'd say, but Rhea, honey, you got to listen to me. Wait till you get home. Because that Coca-Cola is, is not going to satisfy your thirst. You need water. But, but sure enough, I would talk her in uh, to going to this convenience store. I would get a Coca-Cola and we would head home. And, and what I didn't realize then that I realize now is that Coca-Cola just dehydrated you even more. And by the time I got home, that thirst was just, I couldn't, there was nothing I could do to quench it. I needed water. But it's interesting what we will try to use to quench our thirst. The things that we will turn to to, to, to to meet a thirst that only Jesus can meet. How we go to the convenience stores of this world thinking that will finally satisfy me. Maybe if I just had a bigger house, this thirst would end. Maybe if I just had a better husband, this thirst would end. Maybe if I just had a sexier wife, this thirst would end. Maybe if I just had a better job, this thirst would end. And little do we realize that those things, like my Coca-Cola, just dehydrate you even more. Jesus said, anyone who thirsts, come to me. Come to me and drink. Thirst is a metaphor for a deep-seated longing, a spiritual neediness, if you will. David understood this in, in Psalm 63. He said, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. He, he understood he was thirsty. He identified his need. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You see, our life without God is like a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He created us. He built in us a thirst that only he could satisfy, a longing that only he could fill. And all the worldly Coca-Colas will never satisfy that. It'll just leave us more parched. Some of you are sitting here tonight, and we were in California not long ago, and, and I noticed that their grass was so brown, and, and, and they hadn't had rain in, in a while, and so their grass was just just almost dead looking. And, and they, were, they were warning that if there was uh, anybody threw a cigarette out or a match out, it would, it would start wildfires. And I got to thinking today that some of us sitting here tonight are like those California grasses. We're parched, we're dry, we're like that parched land that there is no water. And that's how your life feels, dead like that grass, dry like that grass, without life. Maybe disappointment, pain, and despair have dried up your life and you're desperately in need of a heavenly downpour. Can I tell you, Jesus is the answer. You know you're thirsty you just haven't known for what. Can I tell you, it's for Jesus. He invites you to come and drink from him. He knew that we would go to all the vendors in this world looking for what would finally satisfy that thirst, to all the convenience stores of life instead of him. He knew that he only had, it was only him that had what we need to satisfy our thirst. And so he invites us like he did the Israelites to come to him.
knowing he is the only thing that can fully satisfy. It's interesting when Jesus, you, you recall the story that Jesus went to the Samaritan woman by the well. The Bible says that he went at the heat of the day and women don't draw water from the well in the middle of the day. They do it in the early morning hours because they want to avoid the heat. And the fact that she was there in the middle of the day tells me that she was, she was avoiding the other women. They were probably gossiping about her. She was avoiding their judgment. And, and the Bible says that Jesus sat down by the well. He had to go to Samaria. He had a divine appointment. And he looks at this woman and he knew she was thirsty. He was going there to meet a thirsty woman. And he asked her for a cup of water and she said, who are you, a Jew, to ask me, a Samaritan, for a cup of water? And Jesus replied to her, was if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He offers a solution for her thirst and it's a solution for ours as well. You say, well, Rhea, how do you know she was thirsty? Because Jesus said, go fetch your husband. She said, I'm not married. He said, no, you're right about that. You've been married five times and the man you're living with isn't even your husband. He was identifying her thirst and how she was looking for it in relationship. She was looking for it in men. Can I tell you, there are some of you here tonight that you're thirsty and you haven't even been able to make the connection that the things you're turning to, trying to satisfy those thirsts are never going to meet your need. No drug will ever get you high enough. No alcohol will ever get you drunk enough. No man will ever love you enough. Your house will never be big enough because when you finally get that house that you you want, you're just going to want somebody to clean it for you. Only Jesus has what you need. And so verse one says, come, come to the waters. The word come there is just amazing to me because remember, these are people who had turned their back on God, people who had disobeyed them, people who didn't have a lot of time for him. And yet the mercy, somebody say mercy of God, the mercy of God Dem he demonstrates itself when instead of driving them away like I would have, he instead summons them closer. He summons them to come closer. Notice it's a threefold come here. He mentions come three times. And this time come offers water to the thirsty. Water is symbolic of refreshment. It's like my field hockey water. It refreshed my, my dry, thirsty mouth. And and and. He offers that if we just come, we come to him through trusting and relying on him. We come to him through faith. Verse 1b says, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Again, another come invitation. And this one is for those who have no money, to those who are out of resources, to the poor. This is someone who's recognized their inability to meet their own need. One commentator says, this poverty is not an impediment. It's a requirement. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty. The, the people invited to come are those who have nothing, those who are out of resources, those who can't do anything to fix their broken life. I wonder if we have anybody here like that tonight, who you're just out of resources. You've tried everything to fix what's broken in you and in your life, and, and you're just bankrupt. You, you don't know what else to try. Can I tell you, try Jesus. Come and drink of him, the living water. Verse 1b says, come by wine and milk without money and without price. I love that it's without money and without price. What God is offering to his people and to us is not for sale. 
You can't purchase what God's offering. It's a, it's a gift of grace. It cost him everything, but it doesn't cost us anything. So there are two kinds of people invited to come, those who are thirsty and know they're poor. And now there's another come. He said, come indulge in the richness that can't be found in any other source. Notice he doesn't say water here. Now he says milk and wine. That, that's really important because I think these three things are symbolic of the deepest needs we have in life. Water, milk, and wine. They're, they're symbols of our deepest needs. Uh, water, we talked about how it's symbolic of refreshment and how when you're truly thirsty, nothing else satisfies like water. And water is fine when you're really thirsty and need refreshment, but can I tell you, you need more than water. You need nourishment. So many of us use God like I did for field hockey practice in an emergency and just when I need an immediate need satisfied. But he invites us to a deeper place to not only be refreshed by him, but to be nourished by him. Come by milk, he says. Milk is nourishment for growth. I have two precious grandsons. I, I just, they're like everything to me. And, and they're on this feeding schedule. Their mom and dads do things so much differently than Dave and I did. And, and they're on these strict feeding schedules. When I went down to babysit for my grandson, Mason, Brooke had a note on the refrigerator for me to follow step by step. She, she has him on a schedule. And, and they eat like every three hours round the clock. And, and they don't drink water, they drink milk. And it has everything in it that those two little boys need to grow, need to get strong. Just recently, they started eating baby food. And, and I was like sweating over this because, you know, they, they leave more on the tray and on their bibs and down their clothing than they really get in their mouth. And I was talking to my daughter about that. And she said, Mama, you don't need to worry. The doctor said to me, just keep giving them their milk and they're getting everything they need in that. They don't really need this food. It's just a supplement right now. But they're getting everything they need, all their nutrition from their milk. That's interesting to me. It's interesting to me. You see, Alton, my youngest grandson, he, he started baby food at four months. Mason, Brooke was still working, and so she didn't start baby food until he was five and a half months. And it's interesting to me that both were completely satisfied. Mason had to wait a month and a half later, but, but he wasn't missing out on anything. He was still completely satisfied with that milk. And can I just tell you, the milk that God is offering, the nourishment of his word, I promise you, you will be completely satisfied. If you spend time in his word, drinking from his word, I promise you what he's offering you will satisfy you more than any drug could ever satisfy you, more than any man could ever satisfy you, more than any relationship could ever do for you. Milk is a picture of nourishment and complete satisfaction. But like my grandsons need to drink daily of that milk, sometimes every so many hours, by that, of that milk. You and I need to be intentional about drinking from his word, drinking the milk that he is offering to strengthen us and, and, and mature us. Wine, he says, come and drink wine. Wine is symbolic of the more of God. Can I tell you, you don't need wine to drink or to live. Wine is an extravagance. It's a, it's a luxury. It's, there's, there's, there's something inside of us as Christians, that long for more than just refreshment and nourishment. We want more than just to live, to exist, to survive. Anybody besides me want that? 
And that's the wine that God promises. Wine is symbolic of His Holy Spirit. If you haven't experienced the depth of the power of His Holy Spirit in your life, you're just existing. You're just getting through your Christian life. He wants to give you power from on high. He wants to endue you with power from on high. And that power will bring joy and a completeness in your life, the fullness of joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. It's a symbol of delight and pleasure. God doesn't want us just to exist and endure. He wants us to experience deep, abiding joy. Think about wine. I'm just telling you who I used to be, and, and I understand alcohol. And how many of you, the Bible says that we should be not drink, uh, 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 what's the scripture? We shouldn't drink wine, but we should be intoxicated. Let's look at it. Wanna, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever been under the influence. I have. And I'm just telling you, well, when you are under the influence of alcohol, it's intoxicating. It's mind-altering. That's why I don't like to drink, because it alters my mind. I don't think clearly. And can I tell you, we should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit so much that it alters our mind. It alters the way we think. It should be intoxicating. Our life should look so different than the unbeliever down the street. People say, Rhea, you are a strong cup of coffee. It's because I'm under the influence. (laughs) My mom used to say, Rhea, position yourself under the spout where the glory comes out. She was saying, Rhea, be ye filled, a continuous ongoing filling. Be purposeful about positioning yourself where you can be, have that ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know when somebody's intoxicated, don't you? They make fools out of themselves sometimes. And can I tell you, I just want to be that kind of person. I don't really care what people think about me. All I want is more of him. I want the more of God. And he invites us. If you want that, if you're thirsty, if you're longing for the more of him, come and drink. Come and drink. I've heard people say that they go home at night and they have a glass of wine because it takes the edge off. It helps them numb out and they don't feel the stress and anxiety of the day weighing down on them. Can I tell you that his love is better than wine. The Song of Solomon talks about him intoxicating us with his love. I love that passage. Dear one, will you let him intoxicate you tonight with his love? Will you get drunk on his love? He says, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. I really love the Amplified. It says, come buy priceless spiritual wine and milk without money and without price simply for the self-surrender that accepts the blessing. You say, well, he says, buy there. How do I buy? If I'm not supposed to bring money, what do I bring? You bring self-surrender. You say, Lord, I'm coming. I give you myself. I give you myself. I surrender my life to you. Verse two says, why do you spend money for what is not bread? Remember, the prophet is saying this to a people who were in exile, in captivity, who had settled down and were comfortable in that captivity. Notice that the prophet is not pleading with them or arguing with them. He's just, I think Frank Grablin says, he's, he throws into the quiet pool of their complacency a disturbing pebble as he asks, does all that really satisfy you? Is this really what you're looking for? Are you satisfied? Can I ask you, are you thirsty tonight? 
Or are you getting satisfied with the things of this world? Are you running to the things of the world, trying to find satisfaction in those? Are you investing in all kinds of things that do not bring fulfillment or satisfaction? Chasing the next dream, the next big thing, the next promotion, thinking that happiness and satisfaction can be found in a better woman, a better husband, a better job, only to find out that your chase is empty and fruitless. God may be talking to you tonight saying, why are you spending all of your time and money and resources on what does not satisfy? You're thirsty. Only Jesus. Why are you spending your wages on what does not satisfy? Stop wasting your money and resources on what doesn't satisfy. C.S. Lewis said, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol and would not run properly on anything else. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. So just like a car was made to run on gasoline, you and I were created to run on God. I can put water in a gasoline tank and it, it won't make the car run. I can pour Hawaiian punch into the gasoline tank and it won't make the car run. And, and actually it'll just damage it. And you and I are trying to run on the things of this world and it's just damaging us even more. We were created to run on God, to drink from him. Verse two says, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Alex Motier says the word listen here means to listen persistently. It's interesting to me that both listen and eat are imperatives, they're commands. He's commanding us to eat what is good. And that implies that there is something that's not good that we can eat from. I, I just recently, I've had migraine for the last three weeks, and I, I can't figure out why I've had these headaches. And, uh, and, and so I've been doing some reading, and one of the things I've been reading is that junk food can cause migraines. And, and, and so I've really adjusted my diet and backed my diet off of anything but what God has really created, what God has put on this earth, and the good food. It's not tasty food, but it's good food. And I'm telling you, I would much prefer a cheeseburger and fries, but, but my head doesn't prefer it. And so God is saying here, you're eating junk food. But what amazes me about this, this new diet that I'm on is that my cravings are gone. I, I can eat you know, a salad for lunch, and, and I'm not hungry the rest of the day. And it's because I'm satisfied. I'm giving my body what it needs to be satisfied. So all my, my unhealthy cravings are gone. Do you see the picture God is calling here? He's saying, eat what is good. Don't eat junk food. Don't eat the spiritual junk food. Because it will just cause you to crave and desire everything the world is offering. You'll turn to all of those things. Bye, guys. Be careful. They'll return to all of those things. Eat what is good. Here's my favorite part. He says, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. That word let means to allow. That means I have a choice. Let your soul, remember what we talked about, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Let your soul, allow your soul to delight in abundance, to delight in what is good. 
Sometimes I let my mind, my will, and my emotions delight in what drains me of life instead of that which leads me to a place of abundance. I, I really want you to think about that tonight. He says, let, allow your mind, your will, your emotions <laughs> to delight in abundance. Don't let it delight in what is going to drain you of life. You know what? Thinking about what Susie down the street did to you drains you of life. Thinking about the lies that your mother or your father spoke over you as a little child drains you of life. Let your soul delight in what brings abundance to you. It's a choice. Verse 3 says, incline your ear and come to me. I, I love that. Incline your ear. When I've been studying this, I've been saying to the Lord, am I inclining my ear? I was so blessed by, by Megan's worship tonight. And, and, and I got to thinking, there, there are people probably sitting here just thinking their songs. <laughs> but you see, I inclined my ear. It was worship that rose up inside of me. Leslie and I are best friends, and it, sometimes, I, you know, I'm a little much. I'm a strong cup of coffee, and, and, and she, I want her attention when I'm telling her something. If I'm excited about something, I, I'm a two. I, I, I want attention. I want people to focus on what I'm saying. Leslie is a five, and she is, she is logical and uh, unemotional. That was her word. And, and, and so I'm emotional. And if I get excited about something, what do I want Leslie to do? Get excited about it. And, and so I, this is when we travel and are on the road, I, I get up early and study, and I can't wait to get back and tell her about everything that I'm learning. And sometimes I know when she's inclined her ear to me and when she's not. Sometimes I'm talking to her, and she's looking at the people around the room. And you know what that does to me? I just shut right down, and I think, I'm not throwing my pearls before that swine. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> And I'll say, Les, are you with me? I, I, did you hear what I, repeat back to me what I just said to you. Because I, I want, I, I have something I want to share with her. And if she's not with me, if she hasn't inclined her ear to me, she might be present. She might be there physically, but she's not there with me. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? God says, incline your ear to me. Grieved me all week. I kept thinking, Lord, how many times do I come to your word and I read it and I'm like, not so much there today and close the book and put it back on the shelf. Is it because there wasn't so much there today or is it because I didn't incline my ear to him? That I was like Leslie, I was distracted by everything that was going on around me and I didn't really focus on what he wanted to say to me. Leslie and I went to see Bill Johnson, I don't know, a year ago maybe, and we were dry when we went in there, and, and I said to Leslie, I just, you know, I have so many things that are going through my mind. I wish we could sit with Bill, and we could just ask him these questions, and we talked about what we would ask him, and we went to this uh, meeting, and we were in the front row, I think, and, and, and we were like, everything he said, we were just like, oh my goodness, that's so good. That's so, did you hear that, Leslie? That was so good, and, and he finished, and we were like, oh my goodness, that was the best ever, and I went to the bathroom, and Leslie wanted to talk to Bill, and, and in the bathroom, these women, I'm in the stall, and I'm listening to these women say, I didn't like that at all. They got nothing out of that. He's not as good a preacher as, as people say he is, and I'm thinking, did you hear the same sermon I heard? Leslie and I bought a picnic basket charm after that event because we just felt like we were at a feast with the Lord. But yet there were people sitting in that congregation who felt like they got nothing out of it. What was the difference? We had inclined our ear to him. We wanted to hear 
And so God spoke. And, and so that's what he's saying. Incline your ear and come to me. I want to speak to you. I want to be real to you. He said, hear and your soul shall live. What did I say the soul was? Your mind, your will, your emotions. Please don't miss this. If you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. Hear and your soul shall live. That word here is shama. Does anybody know what shama is? Hero is, what is it? But, but shama means not just to hear, but to hear and obey. In other words, if, you haven't, if you're not obeying what you've heard from God, you really haven't heard. That's why he says, you have ears, but you do not hear. Because you, you've heard it with your ears, but you're not obeying it, and so you haven't really heard. So he says, hear. Incline your ear to me and hear, and your soul shall live. That word hear, as I said, means hear and obey. Oh, can I just tell you? You must hear and obey the word of God to enjoy the free handout of fullness and light of life he's offering. The benefits of hearing, of obeying, is that your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions will live. That word live means to be restored to life and health, to live prosperously. I just want to tell you, some of your emotions are out of control. Some of your minds goes, place, goes places that should not go. Some of you are meditating on junk that, that, that should not have any place in your life. And the Bible says, if you just hear, if you hear what I have to say to you and you obey it, if you forgive even when you don't feel like forgiving, just because I've told you and you've heard it and you're obeying it, your soul shall live. You see, people come to me all the time and say, Rhea, I'm so depressed and I'm so full of... Here! And your soul shall live. You cannot live in a place of constant, ongoing sin and expect life to come. I'm sorry. I know that doesn't... It's not what you want to hear. I know that's not what we're preaching from the pulpits anymore. But I'm here to tell you, we cannot entertain sin in our life and expect life to come. You can expect love to come. He will always love you. There is nothing you can do to separate yourself from, from his love. But so much of what keeps me from experiencing life are the things that, that cause me to end up in the pit or what I'm hearing, what I'm meditating on. Some of you have heard what, what your broken parents said to you as a little boy or a little girl, and you, you heard and you're obeying that. I'm awful. I'm not a good person. I'm a failure. You've heard. It penetrated you. And now you're walking out obedience to what's been spoken over you. No wonder you're in a pit. You see, you have to hear what God says about you. He says you're his beloved. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You belong to him. He's pleased with you. That's what he says about you. Hear that, obey that, walk that out in your life and live. Your soul shall live. He says, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good, his word. Hear and your soul shall live. And then down to verse 8, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. It's interesting to me that instead of paying money for what God was offering, their, buying, their, their part of buying was to seek the Lord. That word seek, so it's such a fascinating word in the Hebrew. It means to resort to, to seek with care, to inquire of. 
To frequent a place, to tread a place, to consult means to seek God in prayer and worship. It means to put a demand on God. Oh, I love that. To require God. But my very favorite part of this definition is to rub, beat, or tread. To tread or frequent. Today, I was out doing a prayer walk, and and I walked past an area that was a bunch of high grass, and and it was interesting. There was a little path that had been tread through. Some little boys must be trying to go back into a wooded area, and there was this path that was, was pushed down, where the grass was pushed down, where they obviously went day after day after day, and they had visited often, and, and they, they did it in a way that, that it, it pounded down a trail for them in the midst of these weeds. Do you know that in college campuses, they, they, when they build a new college campus, they don't put sidewalks in right away. They wait till they see where the students leave a path, where they tread down the grass, because that's the way they frequent. Huh. That's the word here when he says seek. He's saying, seek me in such a way that it becomes your normal path, that you tread down a path to my presence, that that is your path that you take every day so much so that you frequent it, that that there is a path that's made there. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. That another, or the religious word for call would be pray. Can I just tell you that there's only one true lasting way out of captivity, and it's to seek the Lord and to call on him. That word call is the same word that's found in in Psalm 118.5. I love it. It's one of my favorite scriptures. In my distress or in my anguish, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me by setting me free. I cried out. I called upon the Lord, and he answered me by setting me free. Scripture says, whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved. That word save, I prayed it tonight in prayer. It's salvation is so much more than just going to heaven. Can I tell you that? The word salvation means, does anybody know? Deliverance, it means wholeness, it means rescue. There's so many different words that salvation encompasses. And and he's saying that whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved, delivered, set free, made whole. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. Whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved, delivered made whole. But notice there's another part involved here. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. I love it. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You see, it's important because if you're truly serious about seeking the Lord, you won't just pray you will forsake and turn from your wicked ways. You'll forsake or refuse your unrighteous thoughts. And most importantly, you'll repent or return to the Lord. The repentance he's talking about here is not a one-time done decision. It's a lifestyle that, that we tread, we make every day. Salvation or true deliverance comes when we forsake our ways, when we refuse unrighteous thoughts, and we walk in repentance. The the word ways there is our course of life. It's interesting, if you look up that word, let the unrighteous man, that word unrighteous means trouble, wickedness, sorrow, mourner. Forsake his thoughts. The word thoughts means a cunning work, a device or a plot. Can I tell you that sometimes our thoughts are devices that the enemy uses to keep us in bondage, to lead us to captivity. That's the Hebrew word there, a device, 
a cunning work, a plot. If that doesn't make you stop and think this way, I need to, that, the word forsake there means to leave behind, but I love refuseth. <laughs> I, Leslie and I were teasing about this when I was studying, and I was like, you need to refuseth that thought. Let the righteous man, uh, the unrighteous man refuseth the thought that comes that makes him walk out that unrighteous, that unrighteous behavior. Because it's a plot. The enemy, he, he, he knows what he needs to plant in our thinking, in our thought process. We need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If this doesn't, if the thought I'm having doesn't line up with God's word, it needs to be taken captive. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. As you call out to him in prayer, prayer is a two-way conversation. As you seek him and talk to him in prayer, he'll reveal and put his finger on things that you're thinking and doing that need to change. John Piper says, you cannot seek God where he's not found in sin. So as we seek him and call upon him, as we, as we sit in his presence, he'll put his finger on thoughts and, and things that we're doing, ways that we're doing, actions that we're doing that need to change, that need to be forsaken. And then we can return to him, we can repent and come back to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. But it's only in seeking him and calling upon him that we come into that place. John Piper says, it would be like a man who leaves his wife moves into his own apartment, has regular sexual affair alongside his marriage, and then gets on the phone and calls his wife and seeks his wife. And she says, have you forsaken the woman? And he says, no, I can't. Then she will rightly say, then you're not seeking me. Your call is empty. You will seek me and find me as your wife when you forsake her and all the others for me alone, just like you vowed. You see, forsaking our ways and our thoughts meaning, means refusing any thought or action that does not please him or line up with his word. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Here is the primary reason we need to seek the Lord and call upon him because his ways are not ours and his thoughts are certainly not ours. And we can't know his thoughts or his ways unless we seek him. Our thoughts will always lead us down the wrong path. Scripture says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We have the mind of Christ and we need to utilize it. We need to focus on his thoughts. But notice what he says. My thoughts are as high as the heavens are, are from the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, my thoughts higher than yours. Do you know how far the heavens are from the earth? He's drawing a picture and he's saying, that's how distant and far apart our thoughts are. Rhea, yours are not even close to mine. You can't trust your thoughts. You have to think my thoughts and you can't do that unless you're seeking me with all your heart. Now he's going to use that same uh, analogy to show how he closes his gap of separation with us through his word. He says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my, shall my word go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. You see, when we seek the Lord while he may be found, how does he come near? Through his word. So sitting in Bible study tonight, you made the decision to seek the Lord. When I open up my Bible every morning for my devotions, I make the decision to seek the Lord. And every time I do, God closes that distance between heaven and earth, 
by coming near in his word. And just like the rain coming down from heaven, eh, the, the, when, when the earth gets watered by the rain, that parched ground it get, it gets, uh, sucks up that rain and gets new life. Buds begin to surface and a harvest comes. Do you see that that rain has an effect on, on what it touches? And, and he's saying, that's like my word. When it comes down from heaven, it will bring life to your body. It'll bring life to you. It'll bring a harvest in your life. It'll bring new life, new, new uh, fruit in your life. But you can't have that unless you're seeking him, calling upon him, forsaking your thoughts. His word never returns void. Do you understand the power in his word? I'm going to teach uh, on faith in a couple weeks and, and, and just the power of saying what he says. We, we have to say what he says, not what we feel. We have to come into agreement wherever two or more agree. There he is in the midst of it. And we need to come into agreement with his word and begin to say what he says about, about our life. I've told you many times, David, I have a son who, who was an alcoholic who had um, cirrhosis of the liver. It was a desperate situation. And, and all of those years, Dave would be worried about him. And I would just declare, I'm not going there. I'm not going to lose sleep over this. I'm not going to be filled with dread and fear over this. And I just began to get a hold of the word of God. And I began to declare what God said about my son. He said, my sons will be taught by the Lord and great will my children's peace be. And so I would just declare that over Danny. And I would say, thank you, Lord, that Danny will be taught by the Lord and great will his peace be. I'd get another bad report and I'd say, I don't care. Danny's going to be taught by the Lord and great will his peace be. And I'm telling you to this day, Danny is free, free of cirrhosis of the liver. He's never picked up a drink again. He was healed miraculously from that alcoholism. And it was because I chose to not come into agreement with, with, with what the devil was doing in his life, but come into agreement with what God said about his life because God's word does not ever return void. And it wasn't going back without doing something. It would not return to him void or empty, without effect. It was going to affect Danny. I just continued to speak it over his life. Verse 12 says, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Notice the tense here. You shall go forth with joy and be led forth with peace. It's a picture of coming out of captivity, being led by God. Who is the you? It's everyone who responds to his invitation to come. You are not the exception. If you are dry, if you are without resources, if you can't fix yourself, can I tell you, if you are in captivity right now, the invitation is for you to come. That's all you have to do, just come. Everything he wants to offer is yours, free of charge. It's a gift of his grace. And he offers it to the one who seeks the Lord and calls upon him, to the one who forsakes their ways and their thoughts. And so if you agree to the conditions that God sets forth to come, to, to listen, to seek, to call, to forsake, to return, here's the result. You shall go out with joy. You shall be led forth with peace. The wildernesses, the dry areas, the parched areas of your life, 
will go from thorns and briars. See, some of your marriages are thorns and briars. Some of your relationships are thorns and briars. Some of your work situations are thorns and briars. And his word says, if you begin to seek him and call upon him, if you forsake your, your, your unrighteous thoughts and your wicked ways, here's what's going to happen. He's going to take those thorns and briars and he's going to turn them into cypress and myrtle. But it's all about choice. God is delivering his people from exile, and it's not automatic. It requires a response from us. God's people, you and I need to decide if we will stay settled in our place of captivity, comfortable there, or if we want to start rebuilding God's way. Exile didn't have to be the end for God's people, and it doesn't have to be for you and me either. Maybe you're in a dry place tonight then I invite you to come and drink. Maybe you're in a parched land surrounded by death. Come and drink. It's not just an Old Testament promise to the Israelites. It's for you and me as well. Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears come. Let the one who's thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Come. Are you longing for life tonight? Are you dry and parched and barren? Are you trying to find what you need in something other than God? Give up that fruitless search. Why do you spend money on what will not satisfy? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. We need to make the choice to stop eating the junk food of this world and eat what is good eat his word, and be satisfied with all that he has for us. I want to pray for you before I leave. I'm so grateful that you ventured out tonight. We are missing a lot of people, and I'm I'm thankful that you um, made the decision to come. If you are uncomfortable and want to just keep social distance, you you won't offend me if you get up to leave now and go to your car. It's perfectly fine. Uh, For those of you that remain, try to be mindful that somebody may not be as free as you are and, and not want to be hugged or handshaken. And so just be mindful of that as well. Um, we prayed over this atmosphere. We prayed over you all. Um, I don't believe anything's coming near you, but be blessed and, and, and just leave here in uh, being strengthened in his word. Drink from him this week. Spend time under the spout where the glory comes out. He doesn't just want to refresh you. He wants to nourish you, grow you up, mature you, and he wants you to, to have that the power of his Holy Spirit evident in your life. So, Father, I thank you for every man and woman here. I thank you, Lord, that the word that was spoken tonight was your word, and it's not going to return void. That it's going to produce a harvest, Lord God. That's going to bring refreshment. Lord, I pray specifically for those who are in captivity, who have been exiled in a lonely place, who have been buying the wares of this world and tasting from the things the world has to offer and are still not satisfied. Lord, I thank you that only you satisfy. Lord, I pray that you grant revelation of that tonight. And Lord, as they return to you, as they come in response to your invitation, that you would fill them with such fullness of life and that you truly would do the immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. We love you, Lord, and we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.